John, if there's one thing that this podcast exists for, it's for us to condescend to people and just prove mm-hmm. how much better we are than the uh, than the hoi polloi. Oh, of course. I mean, uh, we call it aspiring snobs, but as you've said many a time, we've, we're already there. Yeah. We've, we've pretty much achieved it. And if, if any of our friends or family are to believe, be believed, yes, we do think we're better than everybody else. And not just that's not just evidenced in our cinematic taste. But also in the fact that you and I did not commit to a New Year's resolution and we're already eating and not exercising in the ways <laughs> in which we want to and which guarantees happiness. So, See, it's also unfair. Like They're like, oh, you should, uh, you should lose weight. Well, you know, everyone got fat over the holidays because you eat all this stupid peppermint bark and yeah. all these chocolates. Like I, I work in an office and every winter there's always the same thing where it's like our clients are like, here, take, you know, nine million uh, truffles. Take nine million boxes of chocolate. Here you go. Just eat up, fatty. Go <laughs> pick out. Oink, oink, oink. And what am I supposed to do? Show any kind of self-control? No. That would be completely unfair. That, that's, again, that's that's for the proletariat. Not us, however. <laughs> no, we're like uh, decadent cartoons from some kind of political cartoon. Yes. <laughs> we have the capitalists written on our tuxes. Yes, we, we have. We, we're we the robber barons. Around. Yeah, we, we're the robber barons. There, there's there's capitalists or um, uh, Tammany Hall. A big Tammany Hall sign is above our head. <laughs> We've got uh, top hats and tails. It's great. Yeah. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's perfect rendering of what we look like. Absolutely. So, again, I just wanted to take that opportunity to prove how much better I am than most people, and the fact that I'm not even trying. Because <laughs> if you don't you try, me, if you I don't quit. try, you don't fail. So, this is this is the philosophy. It's I the you by. can't fire me, I quit attitude. Yes, like we just we typify that in every day. Absolutely, just killing do. it, just crushing it. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I wish I wish but we gr- had something else to talk about. I'm like, is there anything happening in the news or? <laughs> Uh, I mean, there was some kind of, like, weird Golden Globe thing that happened the other night. Ricky Gervais was in the news, but Lord knows why. I don't understand. Okay. There's, like, all they're throwing out all these words. I, and... I think he killed an Iranian general. I think that's what happened. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. Yeah. I'll tell you what was killed last night. My hopes of the Patriots ever winning another championship. <laughs> yeah. Am I right? Th- there's NFL much... fans? Yes. Already, that's Of all the things that have already happened in 2020, I think that's the, I believe that's the greatest tragedy, is that the mm. Patriots unexpectedly lost in their wildcard game. The, the fact that they were even in a wildcard game is, is disheartening to us. But again, just, I mean... just once again, just demonstrating our superiority to most people and that we root for the superior football team. Um, at least in some sense. I mean, not I, this year. you've made the point, though, that it seems like the, the interest in uh, the NFL has been wavering. I mean, everyone's been talking about the ratings being down, but here it's like it's not even a blip on the radar. People aren't even talking about it, just period. No, It's like it's disappeared like a fart in the wind. Yeah. Uh, attentions are divided, for one thing. Uh, attendance, in, at least in the NFL this season, has been way down, not just for the least of it in that watching the game on television is way better than actually mm. slipping to a football stadium, paying God knows how much for parking, paying God knows how much for a ticket, and then sitting usually through commercial breaks where you're not actually watching commercials, um, getting <laughs> bad, getting a bad point of view of the game, no instant replay, all that other stuff. So attendance is down, but obviously like profitability of the league is still high. Mm. And I think they're still doing well. I think they're still they're they're growing in that insatiable sense of growth that they that they need. Um, 
But I mean, I think are, it, are the billionaires still doing well though, Greg? I feel like the the tide is going to turn on them any day now though. Yes. Right? The owners, they're just going to they're going to acquiesce to the people. <laughs> they're going to be like, "All right, fine. We'll give Colin Kaepernick a good job." If anything, yeah, that's what they do. They always acquiesce. Um they're always they always learn and um they always compromise. That's why they're billionaires. Mm-hmm. It's because they've been so so generous in spirit. Um, and that it just rewards them. Life just rewards them with the just untold riches for that their family would need generations to uh consume. Mm-hmm. So well, I mean, especially now after they've been visited by those three ghosts, this, their yearly rituals. So John, come again, on. generosity of spirit. Come on, it's sweeping January. the nation. It's the second week of January. Come on. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, why do we why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we get on the political th- thought or political talk so quickly? I well because our life is politics now. John, previously you may not have heard, but we were asleep at the wheel um, this oh. entire decade. Hence why mm. we're in this uh, political hellscape that we are. Somebody wasn't. Somebody, uh, people were strident in their views. Um, terrible, hateful, racist, um, ugly views. But <laughs> no more. The people, the people are coming back. Coming back. So exactly. And that's why we started doing this podcast, right? That's why we started (laughs) making this movie podcast. To make something aspirational for the people, for the little people that we were just condescending to earlier. No, it was for... Welcome. Yes, it was for you who decided that you hadn't seen enough movies. And so Mm -hmm. you wanted to catch up on a classic movie or a film of some renown. Exactly. And you wanted to basically revisit it, or not revisit it, because you're watching it for the very first time, (laughs) and see, like, is it worthy of that status? Yes. And for this week, Mm -hmm. we decided to do a recent, a more recent classic, a 2003 film by a a certain filmmaker who's been getting a lot of accolades recently, like those Golden Globs I was talking about (laughs) earlier. Yes, he won the Golden Glob for the best foreign language film, so... Mm-hmm. Yes, we're, t- we're revisiting a, 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 the second film of one Bong Joon-ho, and his second, his, his uh, what, would, what would the second be? It's not inaugural. Oh, it it, oh, it's the, um, oh shoot, I, don't, I have no idea. Centennial, that's oh, what let's call it. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's a cent- yeah, centennial, Greg. It took a hundred years, but he yeah. did it. Good mm-hmm. job. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. we, re- <laughs> we revisited Memories of Murder. people get over this true crime fetish jeez (laughs) well yeah maybe let's establish those bona fides because this is my second time viewing the movie and you had wanted to watch it for a long time because yeah it's like kind of intriguing it's inspired by the um the true criminal acts of a serial killer 
in the rural parts of South Korea in the 1980s, uh, who was never caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert, he's not caught in this movie either. <laughs> but it definitely has... Like, well, they said... I was reading recently that it, they actually do have a suspect now. It was kind of like a, one of those Golden State killer situations where they, they, they found some evidence, did some DNA testing, and they actually do have a main suspect now. Okay. Like, just literally this past September, they finally kind of pinned it on somebody. But turns out, you know, again, because this is a very unsatisfying ending, he was already serving life in prison. Oh. And... Uh, <laughs> And also, apparently, there's a statute of limitations on murder in South Korea. So 15 years have passed since those original murders that they were able to pin it on. So he can technically walk away scot-free from those, but he's already serving life in prison. So, okay. yeah. And, For and, a different rape and murder. Yes, and <laughs> assuming it's not a it's not a, an American prison, so I'm assuming it's like a resort. Like, there's probably oh, hot baths yeah. every night. And, I mean, we see some bathhouses in this film, and oh boy, they so, they seem so glamorous. I, yes. <laughs> Those Koreans sure know how to live. Yeah. <laughs> R- rural Korea. The, the thumbs up. <laughs> as well as every other uh, political thing going on in the 1980s <laughs> that uh, Bong Joon-ho explores. But... That's what kind of captures this film's attention. Uh, Bong Joon-ho, is, is he already, as we've already kind of seen, especially in, in his latest uh, great film, Parasite, he's a master of genre, and this definitely like hits all kind of the the the, the genre tropes, or the at least the what you expect out of a true crime drama. And I, I, I had a hard time watching it because, again, like I instantly just wanted to compare it to my biggest point of comparison was probably like Zodiac, yeah. where it's like a real a real life tale of a serial killer who was never technically caught. And it's really more about the, the everything else happening around it, the hapless uh, detectives who just can't seem to get their act together mm-hmm. and then the media frenzy that it swirls <laughs> up and things like that. So, yeah. And um, some of the political I, mind like, current be- events of the time, like there's. There's nods to um, political strife, like um, curfew, I believe student riots going on during this time as well. Mm-hmm. And I also couldn't help but compare it to a film he did in 2009 called Mother, which I've seen and you haven't. Yeah. Which is also, again, playing with a lot of the same themes. It's a murder mystery. Someone's trying to solve the case, and uh, one of the easy suspects is someone who's mentally challenged, which obviously is a plot point that comes up in this film as well. Both, yeah. uh, I think Mother, though, handles it a little more tastefully than this movie. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's, I'll just, I'll just identify that. Like, yes, this hits all the beats that you expect out of a true crime drama. And I think at least my first time viewing it and my slight disappointment with it was that it felt like just a kind of regular pedestrian true crime drama. It just happened to be in Korean. So, and we see about these like foreign films, like, oh, they're suddenly enhanced by, you know, being in a foreign language or having talented actors instead of, say, recognizable faces. <laughs> like, uh, or uh, kind of American actors, say, like, they don't naturally slip into the roles they, the way they do in some, like, um, foreign dramas because they're not as compelled by the market, for instance. But mm. it still felt like it was all hitting these kind of somewhat rote beats. And I saw, like, twists and turns coming a mile away. And there's some contrivances here. I will say, upon my revisiting it, I appreciate it a little bit more for Bong Joon-ho's direction. And mm-hmm. just the way he can he can kind of fill a frame and do the mise en scene, the the one shot that that I really like. I don't generally like like long takes because they they seem like an excuse for showing off. But the one I really like is is um this is very early in the movie when um his the star of the show uh Bong Joon Ho's uh, bestie, his BFF, his favorite, <laughs> uh Song Kang Ho, he plays this hap- hapless rural detective, uh very unscrupulous. Um, but there's been another murder that this uh, serial killer has committed, 
and we see him rushing back and forth between like uh, trying to hold the media back and getting where the heck is forensics on the scene and trying to preserve a, a footprint that's also like out in the middle of, out in the middle of nowhere in this rice field. And again, it's all done in one take, but the way that everybody moves is so natural. And so like give credit to the movie for that. It's very well produced, but it's really lacking in terms of story and kind of like kind of keeping you engaged in that way. Um, I would disagree a little bit on that. Okay. Um, one of the things I do uh, appreciate about this movie is that it is an ensemble piece. Um, even though you're right, like our main our main character is uh, Detective Park Domu Park Doman. We're just gonna butcher every yeah. single name in this episode. Yeah, same song. Just... You recognize him because he's in every yeah. he's in everything. <laughs> he's in every Korean movie yeah. you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like. At first, it's kind of all centered around him, and he's thoroughly unlikable. And yeah. so at first, I was like, I really wasn't particularly invested because, A, like, yes, he's trying to preserve a crime, a crime scene very haplessly, but also he's just, like, a bad detective. He's like, I, 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 I use my gut. You know, yeah. I just use my instinct. I just have to stare into someone's eyes, and I know if they're guilty or not. And it kind of that kind of pays off very nicely in the climax. But, yeah, up to this point, I'm just like, all right, so this guy's just an asshole. Why are we following him? Mm. Who cares? Like, why are we following the incompetent <laughs> detective, not the actual one who shows up from Seoul later on in the movie? Yeah. But once they start butting heads and once you get the, the sergeant who also kind of comes in and has to play, like, mediator, it becomes it becomes much more kind of, I don't want to say entertaining, although this movie is, I found it kind of weirdly entertaining because it's it's doing a weird tonal balance. It, like, wants to be a oh, this is high crimes and misdemeanor kind yeah, of serious drama, and, yeah serious yeah drama about rape and murder but also like wants to play up the farcical elements of it all like it's a comedy for like the first 15 minutes yeah this is um, this is a bong joon ho trademark like in spite of like playing with the very serious like atmosphere in between the, when he establishes the knees on sen there's a lot of like silliness going on too like um mm-hmm. i know that this was kind of like one of his big hits but the next the movie that he followed it up with the host like definitely mm-hmm. played with that like um that, that's a monster movie again very it's a very gray dark atmosphere but i you know there's one scene very early on where a young girl is uh, kidnapped by this monster and uh or it seems seemingly eaten and the whole family like you know kind of rides around the floor in this refugee camp like kind of overtaken with grief and it's it's still very serious but it's also very funny so you're right it mm-hmm. kind of straddles this line between you know kind of keeping you compelled and entertained or like keeping you compelled with the atmosphere but also entertained with the comedy and kind of the the physical nature of the of the movie Yeah, and I think there's also 
again, like I can't help but compare it to Mother. The problem I kind of found with Mother is the fact that it is so laser focused. Like literally the title character of that movie is the only character we follow. So you don't get that kind of interplay. And mm-hmm. because you don't get that interplay, you don't get this the playful kind of staging that Bong Joon-ho comes up with. Like you said, there's all the long takes, you know, out in the field when they're at the crime scene. But then there's also the little intimate moments when they're in the police station and they're interrogating, aka just beating up people yeah. until they confess <laughs> and I, th- I do think that there's a lot more kind of action happening although i hesitate to kind of like call it action because it's literally just like oh we found this and then there was this clue and then we put two and two together and i do kind of like the arcs that all the kind of characters go through we obviously have our, our main character who kind of starts off as a schlub and we kind of see him get worn away by this this horrible crime these horrible crimes that are being committed but all at the same time he is trying to be the better detective he's trying to be like he is trying to do it right even though eventually it does kind of yeah. kill his spirit yeah there was that i just it, it was so it came, it became predictable for me cuz as mm. we establish song kang ho's uh, character is obviously very unscrupulous like not playing mm. by the rules will do anything just to do a very immoral things just to pull a confession, and he's butt ups against against this uh, very principled detective, very competent detective from Seoul. Uh, he's mm-hmm. played by Kim Kim Sang uh, Kyung, and he like his arc is obviously like much different. Like as we see later, he he befriends one of the uh, a young girl who ultimately becomes one of the victims of the serial killer, mm-hmm. and then he starts to uh, be a bit amoral in his investigation and is much more convinced instinctually of somebody who does it and I could kind of see that coming a mile away and it oh, yeah. kind of detracted true, yeah and but... it detracted from my from from my enjoyment of the film when I was like oh I've I kind of seen this movie before like great and I've never seen it happen in rural in rural South Korea but like still like I just I I just seeing it coming like seeing it as expected as it was like really kind of took away from my enjoyment of it um I mean you're absolutely right there are a few moments that are like way too telegraphed mm-hmm. for instance probably every scene involving the mentally disabled person that they think is the the killer uh, main, yes. yeah the main suspect and he even like confesses at a certain point or at least like talks about details that only the killer would know and it's like i knew instantly like i don't know why it took him 15 minutes of the movie's time to be like wait a minute maybe he actually witnessed it yeah. maybe he didn't commit it but he witnessed it like yeah no shit and then as soon as he runs off and we see the trains going by it's like oh well we know where this yeah. scene is terminating <laughs> exactly that whole scene felt like really contrived to me because yeah I'm, I'm a bit of a savvier viewer but i know like i know like oh we've got we've got the case right in our hands um <laughs> but you know we, we have finally to... have an eyewitness yeah. it's gonna turn out great from here on out <laughs> all the dominoes are gonna fall into place yeah. <laughs> but also like the the contrivance of the the fight breaking out and the character running away and him staying on the train tracks i mean yeah a great directorial job in terms of establishing the train mm-hmm. like he passed under a bridge and you see the train go by and you know immediately like oh that's gonna factor in in a second <laughs> <laughs> But the way that he, like, stays on the tracks and, and yeah, like, it, that felt a little contrived to me. And I kind of, like, again, you see it coming and you you begin to appreciate the film a little less because it's, it's kind of uh, faltering in one aspect. It's excelling in terms of the direction and, and you're right, establishing these characters as one, arcs, one, one character arc is becoming a more scrupulous detective, another one having to be more um, strident Great and moral. difficult. Yep, but... The story you could kind of see is playing out in predictable ways, and it's kind of letting down the rest of the movie. Yeah, I guess that's true. The other thing, on the other hand, like I do kind of appreciate that 
little character into play. Even the uh, the other detective, the third detective, uh, the other kind of like he's he's basically the sidekick. Uh, he's Detective Cho Young Koo, yep. who's basically just Jackie Chan's his way through every situation. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, he's the he's the one who kind of he's the muscle. He's yes. the bad cop. So it's up to uh, Detective Park, who like he eyes people. He's he's instantly suspicious, and so he plays nice cop, and then he just kind of runs in and like kicks him. And obviously, in a bit of cosmic justice, there's an accident where he gets tinnitus in his, or not tinnitus. <laughs> yeah. um, it happens tetanus. right in his ear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He gets tetanus in his leg, and it has to get amputated. Yeah. And you know, there's a. I think the we don't get a, like a final shot of him, but the last kind of scene or instance we get of him is we see his boot. That's that's got the little koozie that he used to like kick people. Yes, <laughs> and you know it's like a great sense of cosmic justice. Like that kind of brings that yeah. part of the story. And based on the character, because it it's it's not an accident. Like he gets into a fight and somebody takes a a board with a nail in it and stabs him right in the calf. Mm-hmm. And then, but he's so prideful, like he doesn't get it checked out immediately. And you know, mm-hmm. when uh, uh, par- uh, Song Kang Ho's character like does finally like get into the hospital, they say like, "Thank God he got he would have been dead otherwise." So yeah, and and so like yeah, it's it's that's a great moment within character and something unexpected too. Like I, I it, it may not have much like bearing on the story, but it does like hit this emotional point, which I think was also like missing somewhat because the the character from South or excuse me the character from Seoul uh comes in he doesn't have any kind of backstory mm-hmm. there that's one thing like we I think it's the last victim uh, or at least the last last victim we witness is the one he he got personally acquainted with and he's much more motivated to seek justice extrajudicially extra mm-hmm uh, whereas and he's, he's gonna, and he's also like, yeah. there's also the ticking clock element where we have the DNA test coming back from America. Yeah, that he's also got to wait for, even though he wa- he wants to do all justice now. Damn it! Yeah. So, but that happens like very late in the movie, and we don't know really what's personally motivating him, other than that kind of like intrinsic sense of justice. Yeah, at least just the fact that just the fact that he's like you know an actual real metropolitan detective. He didn't just learn it by watching it on TV. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, compare that to Song King Ho's character. Like, at least he's got um, a he's got a wife um, who takes care of like him health wise. I believe he t- he takes insulin. She administers his insulin shots, and mm-hmm. you can kind of see th- there's some things. In spite of how unscrupulous he is, there there are some things that kind of build up his sympathy somewhat. That's true. Yeah, we mm-hmm. do get more. Even though I did get kind of confused because I think it's like the third victim that he admitted that he knew. And so I wasn't sure if that was, like, his wife or maybe he was cheating on her with, like, like a mistress. Because it's implied that a few of these women are, like, ladies of the evening. Yeah. Which I'm, I kind of want to circle it back to that thing. Like, the other reason why this also kind of feels a little bit rote is because, you know, true crime is everywhere these days. And mm-hmm. this is definitely playing way too close to the true crime template where, sadly, we just hear too many stories of sex workers and poor, innocent women who get brutalized this way yeah it's like it can feel a little deadening and that was one of the other kind of major criticisms i had for it it's like this is a very kind of sexist story even though they do try to have they have a character named officer kwong yeah 
who's this like you know meek female officer who actually has like a huge break in the case and at first they don't really like take her seriously she's just kind of like getting her coffee but then she kind of points out this huge thing and i was like oh okay we're taking the story in a interesting direction maybe she'll have more agency in the story and it's just like no it's just kind of it's just kind of another clue out of an unexpected place so i wish she had more to do yeah i wish we kind of got to know the the victims a little bit better because that as you said like that's the only plot point in which she factors in it establishes that she is meek compared to the other like hyper aggressive detectives at this point unfortunately she doesn't come back in the story at all and also i i didn't like that plot point because as you said and i believe the real serial killer did this um it, he was just stalking you know women who were very vulnerable women who were out at night alone Mm-hmm. But because this is a movie and it's somewhat fictionalized, we have to make like oh more calling cards like uh, oh the women were wearing red or he requests yeah, a it song. always rained <laughs> yeah and it'll, only when it rains and so like it I gr- granted it's a movie and you have to do some like ticking clock elements you can't just have like people looking in the dark they have to like have mm-hmm. like oh he's gonna do it by eight o'clock like what do you mean we can't get reinforcements like the speaking of some of the political implications that they bring in the setting's important because they can't get reinforcements because there is civil unrest in seoul and so they can't get extra military or police to actually help them out in this case i thought yeah. that was a good integration of like current events because this movie does take place in 1986 but the the problem is it, it like embellishes a little bit too much and it kind of takes you out of the reality of the story when it is such a kind of obvious like oh the killer has calling cards and, and a yeah he, he literally has like he literally does the same thing where he takes their panties and puts it on their head and he chokes them with a stone it's it's a bit much yeah. it's a bit much yeah <laughs> And it's only like that last one too, where it like it really escalates, and he takes a straight razor to her, and it, it like that just kind of felt like overkill to me. I yeah. mean, but again, it's true crime. That's the other thing. It's like it, they have to up the stakes. Yeah. And, well, compare that yeah. to Zodiac. Like the the scenes of killing in in that are so much. Granted, we didn't love the movie, but the scenes of the killings in that are so much more impactful because they do happen. At least in terms of reality, it's not like yeah. it's not setting up or dramatizing these things in terms of like oh no, it's raining and she's wearing red and it's between no, yeah. uh, seven uh, seven thirty and eight p.m. and and love also- letters playing on this on the radio. <laughs> And it's also framed like a monster doing it. Yeah. Like it's very kind of over dramatic. Like it's like it happens in like a rice paddy. So it's like he's hiding in the tall grass and he attacks like a raptor. It's 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 it it can be a little silly and a little tasteless. But again, that's kind of the weird like 
tonal mix of the movie. And if it weren't for his direction, I don't think it would really work. But obviously, Bong yeah. Joon-ho is extremely talented, and he knows how to how to kind of play it just tastefully enough that it doesn't go too over the top. Yeah, and that's somewhat of my other disappointment with it is because at the end it does get over the top, and so the climax takes place. It seems like they have their man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very um, he's a very cold young individual <laughs> um, who's kind of kind of very like looks very psychopathic. Yeah, it, he's kind of smirking at the detective because he knows he they have nothing and he'll get away mm. with it. <laughs> and once um, one of the victims is is familiar with Kim Se Kong's <laughs> character, like that's what you know uh, motivates him to extraditionally like drag him out to the tracks in the in the middle of the pouring rain and beat him and yeah. and th- granted that's when also. Um, Song King Ho's character comes with the DNA results, and they finally realize, like, oh, it's inconclusive. Like, we don't know if it's him. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, the score becomes operatic, and, yeah, it's obviously, like, driving rain. It, they shoot the darkness of the train tunnel that they're near. And so I thought that was... It, at that point, it became, like, a bit too ridiculous. Like, um, Bong Joon-ho was really straddling, like, a like a tremendous line in terms of, like integrating the the silliness of this or at least the at least the ineptitude of this lead detective character and the, and the gravity of the of the murders but at this moment it's like uh we've kind of dispensed with reality and now we're like off in movie land with a very with a uh, histrionic score and you know dramatic acting and slow motion and all that so yeah it still worked for me i still mostly appreciate it i mean obviously there's a few caveats that i mentioned but i mean this is a pretty spectacular piece of filmmaking and i can't deny that you're right it did leave me a little bit cold because at the end of the day it is just a kind of bog standard true crime again just like zodiac it's like i can't deny the technical feats of that movie Mm. but at the end of the day it's it's intentionally unsatisfying but you can appreciate it for the craft on display and i i appreciate this movie for the craft yeah i i love the craft and in spite of my reservations of the story i still want to say this is a very good movie uh, mm-hmm. The direction by Bong Joon-ho is incredible. I do also want to commend Song Kang-ho because, again, he's a tremendous actor, and mm-hmm. I love particularly the scene at the end. It's after that climax. We never do find out who the killer is, but we follow up many years later to the present day when he's now like a, a very competent, clean-cut salesman and father. Yeah. <laughs> like he's. And I mean, that's the other kind of, I guess that's the other weird uh, aspect of this movie is, yeah, we always hear about detectives. It's like, why don't you retire? Oh, get some sleep, honey. <laughs> this job is just taking too hard a toll on you. And <laughs> like, this is actually one of those weird, weird uh, rare instances where it's like, yeah, the detective got out and he's like, yeah, I got a new job and I'm happy now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's happy. He's a good. He's a good, attentive father. Like you know, yep. That, it's not exactly scolding. It's like uh, like badgering. Like you were. I could see you were playing video games all night. You know, yeah. make sure you do your studies. <laughs> exactly. So th- that's great. And yeah, it's like it's like a. He's like a chameleon. You like you can't believe it's the same person, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that just shows what a tremendous actor he is. And of course, we do get the the final scene with the little girl who's like, "You're the second person who's come by here today." Yeah. <laughs> Someone else mentioned it. He's like, "Like that also could have been way more histrionic." Where he's like, "Well, what did you see?" Instead, yeah. he's kind of like a little bemused, like he's not quite sure what to do with this information. He's just like, "Do you remember his face?" Just out of curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> like he, well, it's he, a very small really, kind of subtle turn. Yeah, very very understated. Yeah. So yeah, that that final scene really. Although I was a little confused about the kind of final shot he looks at the camera. I did read in the trivia the reason why Bong Joon-ho did that is because, again, at the time, the killer wasn't caught. And mm. he was kind of hoping that the killer would want to see this story, and he's kind of confronting the killer at that point. So, okay. 
Yeah, so um, that's why that that's or, why he looks into the or list. the detective was the killer. <gasps> of course. <Yeah. laughs> Thank God there's some stupid twists like that, but yeah. <laughs> well, again, it's very tasteful, just like Zodiac. You know, yeah. Zodiac yeah, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't pull anything stupid. Like Robert Downey Jr. was the killer the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm not Paul Avery because Paul Avery's going to the chair. <laughs> yeah, take that. Yeah, you, uh, journalist slash drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want him to be defined by his addictions. So I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> rest in peace, Paul Avery. <laughs> oh, now you say rest yeah. in peace. <laughs> I think he died too like, little, a decade late. plus ago. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I'm like, why you? What's <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think we can. I think we can recommend it. Maybe not a, a wholehearted recommendation, but yeah, it's a pretty good movie. This Bong Joon Ho guy seems yep. like he knows what he's doing. Yep, I'd and like to that, see what else he comes out with. And with that, we turn the page on memories of murder <laughs> and say, Bong Joon Ho, what have you done for us lately? I mean, come yeah. on, Parasite has already won the awards. Let's move on. Let's try something exactly. else. Exactly. What's new? You yeah. can tell he's not like I was looking at his IMDb. You can tell he's not in the Hollywood system because he doesn't have like four things in pre-production. What's going on, dude? <laughs> Where's your output? I think he's like a uh, Christopher Nolan. Like he takes a, it probably he's probably working all the time. But there, there's like mm-hmm. a year long marinating period, and That's then there's true. a and there's a big announcement. Like his next movie's coming out like a year, a two years from now, mm. and then it comes and then everybody loves it. <laughs> I had to do six months of research on time travel. I read History of Time. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to do my proper uh, Christopher Nolan impression. I read a hist- a brief history of time. <laughs> It was fascinating. My conclusion, the most powerful un- force in the universe is love. And you could feel that, too, from him. <laughs> Nolan bought away. Tenet opening July 2020. All right, Sean, I, I feel as if he, you you hate Christopher Nolan because you like aren't Christopher Nolan. Something like that. I, think I feel some jealousy in your face. Just like a non-Patriots fans out there. I, you know what? I, I, I mean, well, that just hurts too hard, okay? Because I just think people are... Like, that was the hardest part about going to social media the next day and just seeing everyone be overly mean yeah. and overly smug, and it just it, it felt like a personal attack, honestly. It, it was. It, it was personal against us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look... Could I be considered kind of a Fairweather fan? Did I not? Did I really care before Tom Brady became the starting quarterback? Maybe not. Yeah. I could name Drew Bledsoe. I know what he looks like. But <laughs> Well, that's, that's the test. Uh, you're a true Patriots fan if you could name one player pre-2001 who's not Drew Bledsoe. Oh, yeah. well, okay. All right, fine. You win. I'm not <laughs> a true fan. <laughs> well, well, you're not even a sports fan. I, I won't give it to you. I'll prove my bona fides and say, like, who can forget uh, the great following uh, Curtis Martin's departure to the Jets? They signed mm-hmm. Robert Edwards, who was a tremendous uh, running back until he had a career-ending knee injury at the Pro mm-hmm. Bowl's uh, 
beach volleyball game. No. <laughs> yeah, wow. he literally like tore up his his knee at a beach volleyball game, like ending uh. his career. Uh, there it was, was a brief moment sad. I was embarrassed for not knowing a basic Patriots fact. Now I know it could be way more embarrassing. Exactly. I yeah. Rattled all that off the top of my head. So good job. <laughs> Don't, that's true. I just showed my my ass a little bit, and the fact that mm-hmm. I can't I can't remember my pin number sometimes, but <laughs> I do have that rolling around in my acorn. John, let's show our ass a little bit more by yes. wholeheartedly recommending something or trying to defend something. It's our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Where at the end of every episode, we give a hearty recommendation for something maybe you can catch this week. Yeah. Thank you for uh, explaining it better than I did. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> this week, I'm, I, I was going to do something else like kind of true crime adjacent, but I said, eh, let's, let's do something a little more positive this week. And okay. so I'm going to recommend a Disney Plus original. Oh, gosh, I lost <laughs> enthusiasm already. Um, <laughs> a Disney Plus original what? Because I'm, I'm okay. It's a movie. Okay, I was scared. It yes. was High School Musical, <laughs> the musical, the series, or something. I don't know. They they the musical, the, the musical, the series, the streaming exclusive, the Disney Plus. Yeah. Or, no. why, why do they call it High School Musical, the musical? Uh, that's a good question because other other than to annoy me and be obnoxious. <laughs> See, that's the thing. They play it so straight. I don't know if they're trying to be ironic. Okay. And it, the other was, an, the original was a musical, hence why they called it High School Musical. I guess the, they were putting on a musical play, but I think they still had musical numbers, like non-diegetic musical numbers. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's not important. It's not Whatever. Important. Yeah, let's move past it. John, recommend whatever you have to recommend on Disney+. Plus. Okay, I was going to recommend Togo on Disney+. Plus. Ah, this is yes. the, the um, Disney original movie... Uh, starring a real dog, not the phony dog like they're going to do in Call of the Wild coming to theater soon. These are, no, these are real dogs? Th- these are real dogs, baby. Yep. And like, there's there's a lot of compositing in green screen, but it looks like they did shoot a fair amount of it. Uh, it takes place in Alaska, and just it's absolutely gorgeous the scenery, and just oh, it makes you want to makes you want to be a proper frontiersman again. Um, <laughs> again, <laughs> John, you're a city. You've always been a city slicker. <laughs> I know, but a man can dream. Sure, I've still got that. I've still got that Norwegian adventurer spirit in me. <laughs> Norwegian adventurer, you're you're German and British. What what are you talking? Shut about? up. <laughs> You're like American by like six generations at this point. <laughs> so uh, the movie is like the, I don't want to oversell it. It is pretty much your bog standard, like, oh, these rascalian little animals, but they save the day at the end. Yippee. Mm-hmm. Um, but, well, I, think, I believe it's it's based on a true story, right? Yes, it's based on a true story. I don't know if you're familiar with Balto. Do you remember an animated film, uh, Balto? Uh, do I? <laughs> <laughs> I I do know that a movie called Balto exists, and it's animated, and it was on the shelves uh, back in our old movie store, but Mm -hmm. our old video rental place, but yeah, is this the same story? Uh, Uh, Kind of. This is more like correcting the original Balto story. So there was this this story in the early 1920s about uh, this outbreak of uh, diphtheria, I think. I don't remember specifically. But there's this outbreak of this disease in a rural Alaskan town. And uh, there's a big snowstorm about to hit, and they need to get this, you know, medicine to them. But, you know, the planes can't get there because, you know, it's the 1920s. These planes are held up with plywood. Yeah. Um, and the only one who can do it is this uh, this uh, intrepid dog sledder and his team. And so Balto 
due to some just the way that the news worked at the time, you know, it was all telegrams like, you know, here he, here he. Um, Balto became kind of the celebrity dog that everyone kind of remembers from that story, but everyone kind of forgets the lead dog of, of the actual sled team, which was Togo. Oh. And I mean, so this movie's uh, trying to play like kind of hidden figures with it. It's like it's trying to tell the true story, not trying to like disparage Balto, obviously, but it's like trying to give you more of a complete picture about the whole kind of sled. It was really more of like a relay. It wasn't like oh this this one dog team you know did the whole trek by themselves through this dangerous storm. It was like more of a kind of relay thing where they had to pass the medicine down from team to team. Okay, but uh, Togo was kind of it was the inspirational story. He was the runt of the litter. He was untrainable. They thought, oh, he could never. He's never going to make it. Like the owner tries to give give him away twice, but you know it just doesn't take. So, but then they put him in the in the lead position for the dog sledding, and he just he takes to being a leader. You know, just like with gusto and. So basically, it's meant to be like kind of one of those inspirational stories. Where the film kind of succeeds, though, is the direction. Um, a lot of the movies kind of played at like dog level. So it's like <laughs> okay. the camera's very close to the ground. It like feels very POV from like a dog's eyesight. And so given like the cinematography and, you know, like it's, it's taking place on sunset in Alaska, it's like you can kind of trick yourself into thinking you're watching a Terrence Malick film. So All it's right. kind of beautiful from that, nice. that perspective. But then also our, our main hero, the dog trainer, uh, Leonard's uh, Sleepla, Sheepla, Sleepla, whatever. It's not yeah. important. He's played by Willem Dafoe, and I think any other actor in this role would have made this make this movie as corny as it obviously is meant to be. But mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe, he just ooh, he's just an instant professional, and in just all that world weariness he brings to everything just really grounds it, and he just does a fantastic job. So, really, what I'm recommending is Willem Dafoe. Oh, <laughs> Willem obviously. Dafoe does it great. <laughs> He's great. In, he's great in everything. I'm assuming he's just porting over his character from the lighthouse. <laughs> like, how are you? Scur- there is a moment. Dogs. <laughs> kind of. There is a you know moments where they're like uh, sledding across the Iceland or the uh, the frozen uh, sound lake, yep. and like the yeah the ice is cracking around him, and he starts reciting a poem like to kind of like no. inspire the dogs, I guess. And it's very much right out of the lighthouse. So. Okay. <laughs> But he does a fantastic job, you know. They always say, like, don't work with kids and animals, and he, he acquits himself quite well, so. Well, Togo. of course, yeah. Fun movie, fun movie. All right. I mean, are you going to get a lot out of it? Not really, but it's cute, so. Is it worth the Disney Plus subscription? Oh, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> Nothing's worth Disney Plus by itself. You're buying Disney Plus so you can watch Aladdin and The Little Mermaid and shut the kids up not for two e- hours. Not even in The Mandalorian? <laughs> All right, um, it's renewing the spirit in Star Wars. I've been with Star Wars through thick and thin, so <laughs> I've seen people saying that like it's like somehow like it's been a burden on you to not enjoy a Star Wars movie. <laughs> I mean, I can't I can't deny that it does feel like a better use of the Star Wars property than anything else in probably like the last fifteen years, but I can't say it's worth it to get the whole Disney Plus package just for it. I would okay. wait a little bit more until there's a bit more content on Disney Plus before you invest heavily in that. Although right. I'm I'm just not the kind of person who would be like, well, I have to get HBO because Westworld has a new season. Like, I would never be like that. Okay. I would wait until there was a deal. Like, if I can get five months for five bucks a piece, then yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. But Yep, fair enough. Mandalorian, right. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a reason that's not the spotlight, dummies. <laughs> we don't care what how cute Baby Yoda is. I mean, because it's pretty darn cute. Well, can I can I do my nitpickiest thing about the Mandalorian? Sure, everybody else has already talked about it. Go ahead. 
the one thing that separates Star Wars is the fact that George Lucas insisted no stock sound effects, with the exception of the Wilhelm scream, obviously, because yeah. he didn't want his his story to sound like anything else. And that's the part of the sonic, of uh, the reason why it vibrates so well is because of that sonic frequency Star Wars is on. You hear those sound effects and you're like, yee! Yeah. <laughs> For Baby Yoda, they use stock baby sound effects. Like, it's mm. like they use the recognizable baby sound effects. And I'm like, really? You couldn't have gotten like Frank Welker for an hour to like come up with something new and original. <laughs> like Bill Hader's available. He does all. The- I know. <laughs> he- yeah. Like you can like, he's trained. It's- he does every star Wars <laughs> sound. <laughs> Talk about signs of a misspent youth. <laughs> well, not misspent. I mean, now he's, he's a highly successful actor and now writer and director. So yeah, exactly. The guy's got Emmys now, baby. Yep. All right, Greg, take us home with your spotlight. Okay. Before uh, I get way too nitpicky about Star Wars. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got something that it's going to sound a little nitpicky, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna be like Jim Cramer here. I'm going to tell you that, like, this is a, this is a risky vibe, and I'm going to tell you to do it, okay? <laughs> Are you going to smash a few things on your way yeah, here? Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> okay. Because speaking of another uh, not streaming service, but if you did want to invest in HBO, can I recommend the first season of one of their now, I guess, premiere comedies. I don't know, because it didn't get a lot of... I don't think they put out screeners for it to get awards attention. But I want to talk about The Righteous Gemstones. Mm. I mean, I'm familiar with this. Um, I mean, Danny Bride, Danny McBride is kind of a hard sell. Uh, I mean, well, after... it's not our kind of humor. Oh, okay. Yeah, Which, uh, that's what you mean by like kind of a hard sell. Because mm-hmm. this is the third show that he's created for HBO mm-hmm. uh, with his cohorts uh, Jody Hill and David Gordon Green. Yep, and he's basically yeah yes again he's playing the same kind of unrepentant hyper aggressive character that he's playing in those other two shows, but at least with the scenario this time is that he's a highly successful uh, prosperity gospel preacher, mm-hmm. part of the Gemstone Clan, and I thought oh that'd be great it'd be like a an awesome religious satire and it's not really that, mm. instead it's a little bit more like Barry it's like combining comedy with uh, thriller elements because the his character, the the whole plot line is kind of this blackmail scheme. Okay, is someone trying to blackmail him, or is yes, somebody's trying to blackmail, trying to blackmail him? Because as I oh, said, okay. he's he's an unrepentant. In spite of being a, a stal- appearing as a stalwart Christian, he's also a bit of a party boy. And somebody wait tries a to, minute, yeah. you're telling me <laughs> that they're centering a story around. Uh, prosperity gospel pastors yeah. who might be a little hypocritical. Hmm. Well, I don't know, Greg. This strains credulity. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It could be. It could go in way more on that, and it doesn't. Okay. Like, like yeah. There's a few close-ups of them like passing the plate, and and but there there could be way more opportunities um, for for them to show how how kind of empty this prop prosperity gospel is and what charlatans these folks are mm-hmm. um my favorite line but we is, get enough of that in real life am ex- i right folks? exactly yeah. womp, 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 womp. <laughs> my favorite joke was um because he is such a, a hypocrite he's estranged from his son who wants to go have a career as a stunt person in hollywood mm-hmm. and um he he comes back and and danny mcbride's character is a little annoyed and he says like so my son came home what am i supposed to do throw a party for him <laughs> so that that joke's a bit of a thinker, but that's why it was my favorite. Bible a lot more jokes. jokes could be centered around the hypocrisy, but they really aren't. I think the show like likes its characters, okay. and and it does. I think when they're when they're with other characters, I do like um, the the funniest moments come when Danny McBride's characters with his his posse, his entourage of of, of four other kind of like middle aged saved souls. They're much mm-hmm. more meek than he is, so they they 
they're much easier to kind of like bend to his will. Um, my other favorite aspects are he has um, two siblings, uh, Edie Patterson, who is fantastic. She really steals the show. You may remember her. She played Fran in Knives Out. Like the, oh. the yeah, she's like the she's got like the tiniest role. Like yeah, she's kinda but it's like, a, like very kind of over the top. She's the one who's like crying at the party, right? Yeah, she's the she's the one who discovers the actual body. So yeah, and yeah. and she kind of like makes the most out of a tiny role in Knives Out. But she is she is outstanding in this show. And okay. my my favorite scenes include her because she's she's very aggressive. She grew up with brothers, so she's she like you know. Do, does purple nurples really like you know oh, okay. swears with impunity and it, it's it. it's best when she's with her fiance uh bj played by i can't remember the actor's name but um he's a bit of a beta male and so those those interactions are hilarious um okay another another great line is when they're talking about stunt when the son returns home and they're talking about stunt performers he mentions that you know sometimes they fill in for women um and they have to put on wigs and and bj insists like to try to look good for his fiance like says i i look forward to a day when women can represent uh pretending to be women who do dangerous stunts (laughs) (laughs) so that's another great line and but my favorite supporting character is uh the best friend of adam adam divine's character uh is keith keith is a reformed satanist (laughs) (laughs) who's kind of played by he's played by uh tony cavallaro and he's he's very deadpan he's also like very meek and somewhat bemused and very careful around everything because he is a reformed satanist and is always like constantly walking on eggshells (laughs) (laughs) but it's also it it also works perfectly with adam divine's like very uh also spirited character (laughs) yeah I mean, that's the thing, like, that kind of turned me away is that you've got, like, Adam Devine and Danny McBride and even that actress you you mentioned. It's like, Patterson, it all felt, yeah. A very, yeah, it felt very all over the top. And yeah. I was kind of, I'm a little surprised that you're not mentioning the one I thought that would buoy this whole thing, which is the, the inimitable John Goodman, who I know plays the patriarch of the family. Yeah, that's why I... Th- I, the the first season is good, but I'm sensing greatness, and so I want a little bit more out of um, John Goodman because he he plays the most soulful character. Uh, mm-hmm. At the start of the show, his wife has just passed away, mm-hmm. so he's the one who feels a bit directionless and can't really doesn't know like which way the ministry's going. And that's the thing like the, these people are basically charlatans. They're preaching the par- prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like like he never really confronts that instead you're supposed to like earnestly root for him and see like which way he's he's supposed to go like without his wife in the picture and it's also great in the other character gosh i didn't even mention uh walton goggins playing uncle baby (laughs) billy um, his his brother-in-law um who's also a charlatan and wants to ingratiate himself into the gemstone family because he's fallen on hard times so we have we have these like great setups but it it is kind of let down by this this blackmail scheme that does that just enters kind of like thriller territory and isn't really about the the satire of uh, th- that you could that you could plumb from from these great depths of prosperity gospel charlatans. <laughs> so that's why I'm the first season is good, but I'm sensing greatness in the show, and I think it was renewed for a second season. So I'm hoping for even like greater things to come. Well, I mean, also I think that's kind of the plan with all those shows you mentioned like eastbound and down and uh vice principles they always like have two seasons worth of material and then they're just like all right we're done goodbye (laughs) which is i think how hbo would prefer it i think they prefer their limited run stuff because they don't want to obviously pay actors too much no No. well i think in in press danny mcbride says he's got a lot more there's a lot more creative juice behind this one they said they could go on uh for a lot longer so okay we'll see we'll see what happens yeah 
you know how HBO likes to keep those those cards close to the chest. Exactly. But I really liked um, I really liked some of the gags in this in this first season. I really like where the show was going. Obviously, all the the performers are like top flight. Even if even if you don't like um, the the brand of humor that Adam Devine or um, Danny McBride have, they do they do play like at, at least like somewhat likable characters in this. Okay. You can kind of understand their motivations and and where they're going and and the way in the ways in which they change. So, I, right. yeah. Right. So, right. okay. <laughs> see if I can check it out. If I can get that HBO password back. I mean, I lost it for a while, and so maybe again, you know, do, do you want to season three is going to be here later sooner rather than later? So I got to okay. get back on that train. All right, so. John. Do, I mean, do you really want to confess to publicly stealing HBO? <laughs> what are they going to do, Greg? Come on, I'm untouchable. Sure, they're they're going to shut down our podcast, John. Oh, really? If anything, this will give us a chance for them to listen to us and how hilarious we are, and then they'll give us a first look deal, no matter what. <laughs> That's really the dream. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. So I mean, but Netflix is so much easier to get greenlit on. That's you just fair. walk up and they're and they're like, "Do you have content? Please give us content." <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have friends? <laughs> Do you have the show Friends? If not, can you make something like Friends? <laughs> what can you make for $2? Yes. And we can easily dub in Spanish. Yeah. Can you do The Office again, please? <laughs> Here's an order for 200 plus episodes. <laughs> we need something to go viral, but make yeah. sure it's edgy. <laughs> yes. Make it edgy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. John, if we could pitch, let's put our let's put our creative juices together oh, okay. um, into into some brilliant cocktail of of, of sugary sweetness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what what is the ultimate? I think we we know what the ultimate HBO show. I mean, they've already made it like fifteen times. Of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a comedy with thriller elements. It's a Armando Iannucci uh, <laughs> uh, show. <laughs> what what is the, what does the ideal Netflix show look like? Um, it's cheap. Um, but looks expensive. Um, I mean, for me personally, it seems like right now they're obsessed with space station based television shows because it saves them a lot of money on sets and, uh, you, you don't have to write anything like it doesn't drag in the middle because they can literally do whatever the hell they want and say it was aliens or the, the, you know, the alien hoopajoop caused everyone to lose their minds or something. You keep saying that word hoopajoop. I don't think you know what it means. (laughs) I, it can mean whatever you want it to mean, Greg. That's the okay, beauty of the English enough. language. You can just make up words whenever you want. All right, but I I think it's about um, strong women. Mm. It's about the, the the horrors of technology, for one thing. Oh, of course, just yeah. like I was saying with the with the sci-fi shows. Yeah, because I feel like they they've got this black they've got this uh this grip on Black Mirror and technology's mm. bad, and also this nostalgia for the old ways of thing. I know Thirteen Reasons Why was based around cassette tapes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and. Um, obviously, in Stranger Things, they try to do all these analog things, like the what do they put Eleven in? The 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 uh, it's like a kiddie pool, but she's suspended in salt water or something. I don't know, like you know. <laughs> so they gotta find analog solutions. It's Lost in Space, basically. I think. I, I mean, I've seen both seasons of Lost in Space now. It is aggressively okay, I think, <laughs> as the AV Club put it. And I can't think of a better way to describe it. So, yes. All right. We'll see if it gets a third season, because, honestly, I can see the algorithm saying, like, eh, zero. <laughs> Not enough buzz generated. All right. Fair enough. I mean, what, I mean you have no opinion, because you haven't even watched it. What no, I haven't. What no, I, what well, that's are you the spending thing? your time watching? What if I've spent, I told you, the Righteous Gemstones and a few other nah. things. Nah. Nah. You need to keep up. 
Greg, keep the pace up, okay? We have to live extremely online lives, and that means being on social media at all times and being, you know, fingering that pulse. Mm. Are you fingering that pulse, Greg? No. How can people finger that pulse? Just fingering all the time. Um, well, there's uh, MySpace and Bebo mm. and Friendster. Mm-hmm. We're on there. Let's see. What else is there? Google Plus. Like, our Google Plus account is blowing up. Please add oh, us there. Give us a plus we're there. so viral. Yeah. Just all the viruses. <laughs> yes. We want all the viruses on Google Plus. And then there's uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, Reddit, <laughs> Instagram. I mean, yeah, we've got, we've got technically homes there, too. But I, I think those are the main ones I listed. MySpace and Friendster are really where you should be. Yeah, exactly. And then... If you've, if you've bothered to check out that page, you're obviously living an extremely online life right now, yeah. which means that your opinions matter, and you're actually probably way smarter than most people. So why don't you take those smarts and go to your podcast service of choice? Like it, if it could be Apple Podcasts, it could be Spotify, it could be Stitcher, it could be uh, Player FM, who knows? But if you give it five stars, everyone's going to be like, wow, this guy or this gal is extremely erudite and has significantly better taste than most people. And so you should need to go to your podcast service of choice and give us five stars. You need to upvote us, baby. Yes. Come on. Upvote us. Now, I'm very thankful. We do have some positive ratings on there. Mm-hmm. And you're going you're gonna to have this instinct to be, because it's the internet, you're going to have this instinct to, to be a contrarian, to mm. set yourself apart from the, from the hoi polloi, the masses, <laughs> the yes. common folk. But what could be more contrarian than being contrarian to that contrarian opinion and going mm. back and going back towards a positive direction. There's always so much negativity on the internet. Let's let's veer towards something positive and giving us that five star rating, huh? We are talking four D chess right here, all yeah. right? You are playing four D chess when you give us a five star review on your podcast service of choice. Absolutely. And then if you want to get in touch personally, uh, we do have an email address, aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Give us your questions, your recommendations, yeah. you know, whatever you feel. Your feedback, just, your thoughts on, on Bong Joon-ho's oeuvre. Yeah, let's just keep it cash, you know? Let's <laughs> just chat. <laughs> One thing we don't keep cash is our schedule. We strictly adhere to it. So we yes. want you to watch the movies along with us. Mm-hmm. So that's why we preview what we're going to be watching next week. John, can you share that with us? Next week, we're going to be revisiting a movie by the classic director, the director to end all directors, the Stanley Koobs. That's yes. right. The Stan Koobs. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick. So, John, which which of his films are we going to be watching? Is it The Shining? Is it uh, A Clockwork Orange? Maybe Spartacus. Who knows? John, which one of his classic films is it going to be? It's the one everyone loves talking about. Lolita! <laughs> well, you know, Harvey Weinstein's in the news again, so I thought, <laughs> why not? Let's... No, the, the more... the Greater analogy would be Jeffrey Epstein, I think. Oh, that's true. Actually, good point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're taking the Lolita Express to watch the yeah. Lolita. <laughs> so uh, I guess you have that to look forward to, question mark. Um, don't worry. I'm going to bust this Epstein case wide open. Um, oh, okay. Would it shock you to know there's some, suspe- some suspicious circumstances surrounding his death? Um, <laughs> but it's all fine, folks. It's all fine. <laughs> I mean, how much of it is just memes? I feel like it's all memes. <laughs> That's how you spread ideas, John. You can't kill uh, idea. Uh, a bullet may kill the man, but it won't kill an idea or a meme. <laughs> mm, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I'm just picturing the the butterfly thing from anime, going like, "Is this an idea that's unkillable?" Yeah. <laughs> 
And the butterflies labeled meme? Is that in the I never got that one. I never... No, the butterflies doge. It's doge. Uh, oh, okay. and, it says, and it says, so memeable, okay. I think. Yeah. I'm winning. I, much, I'm so yeah, good at this. Much winning. Yeah, blah, blah, Yes. Blah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hashtag much winning. We're good at this memeing thing, obviously. Yeah, so. obviously. Yeah. yeah. But until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time. I was going to look up how you actually say keep aspiring in Korean. Damn it. Uh, Kerso <laughs> Yerman. Uh, <laughs> which is Korean for keep That's aspiring. Russian. I'm That's pretty awful. sure. Yeah, look, Google Translate is obviously 100% correct. 100% of the time.